one of the things I miss being here in America is the British Parliament. I miss question time on a Thursday when the MPs have freedom to ask unprepared questions, as it were, to the Prime Minister of the day. There are lots of rules. For instance, you cannot address another MP or the Prime Minister by their name. Rather, you say, my right honourable friend or my honourable friend. And this is meant to make it less personal and to stop people quarrelling. It doesn't. And those of you who've seen the British Parliament, just go to YouTube, you can see, just put on question time. It's fun, I guarantee. And in order to make sure that it continue, because both sides will be shouting at one another and saying different things, you get someone called the Speaker of the House. And the Speaker of the House keeps order in the House. And time and time again, the Speaker will say, Order! Order! I call for order in this House. George Thomas, who was the Speaker quite a number of years ago, was a Welshman. And he had a Welsh accent in saying, Order! Order! Well, today, our theme in Ephesians 6 is order. Order. That's the theme. The overview is simple. Kids, be subject to your parents. It's a huge problem today, isn't it? Kids and parents. Dads, give them a break. <laughs> give them a break. And then there's a whole area of working in this context in the first century first century Rome it's masters and slaves today we would think more of employers and workers slaves workers obey be subject respect do not revolt masters be fair compassionate make sure your practices are good and fair working practices. Quite simple. Quite straightforward in one sense. And what I'm going to do today is to look at four principles that underline what Paul is saying here in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Four principles that underline what he is to say. The first one I want to underline is this. In the Christian faith, there is no such thing as the secular and the sacred. No such thing as the secular or the sacred. We often think, don't we, of Massachusetts as being more secular, all right, than many other states in the USA. And secular meaning God is not really primary. Europe is much more secular. 
And some people look at their Christian lives in this, with bifocals, as it were. They have a secular life, some are without God, but they also have a sacred life. There's a secular and a sacred. But rather, Christianity has to do with the whole life. I just want to remind us this morning, you've only got one life. One life before God. It's not as if you've got a church life and then a non-church life, or a God life and a non-God life. Being a Christian means you have a life before God, which includes everything in and outside of church. There's always a danger in separating religion and spirituality from life. Christianity is the practice of a way of life, a way of living. And it's not just where I go or what I do, it's who I am, who I am. We do not live in two worlds. We do not have two lives. There is one life, and if you're a believer, that is meant to be a Christian one lived before God. Latin phrase, coram Deo, before God. You see, Christianity isn't just doing religious stuff. It's living a life before God. It's practicing what God calls us to do. Often, I've spoken about orthodoxy in this church. Are we orthodox? In other words, do we keep to what the Bible says, the correct way of believing, etc., etc.? That's really important. But it's not just about orthodoxy, it's about orthopraxy. It's the way you live. Are you living right? Not just believing right. Because all our lives are sacred. This morning in, in the office, uh, just before coming, I was looking at uh, one of the small devotional works of the 17th century by a man called Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of God. And in this, this very simple monastic guy practices God's presence wherever he is, not just in the service, but in his life. I quote him. Our sanctification did not depend upon changing our works, but in doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. In other words, whatever you do, do it to God. There is no secular. And the famous story about Brother Lawrence was that he washed a lot of dishes. And someone asked him what he was doing. Well, I do it to the glory of God, he said. Whatever he did was linked to his faith. Everything is sacred. And that's what we have here. You see, here we're talking about a relationship with our parents. And verse 1 says, his parents in the Lord. 
in the Lord. When it comes to employees, it says the way you react to those who employ you as you obey Christ. Verse 5. As if you were serving the Lord, not men. A book I read such a long time ago. I can't remember anything at all about the book, except its title. So the guy didn't need to write the book. He should have just written the title. And that would have been okay. And the book was called Secular Work is Full-Time Service. Secular Work is Full-Time Service. So this morning, in one sense, please understand me, if you've never thought of yourself as a priest, if you've never thought of yourself as someone doing God's work because you're the teacher or because you're involved in this or involved in that or finance or whatever you're involved with, I want to tell you that you are called to do that, whatever you do, to God. To God. In one sense, you're ordained to do that. Ordained. Yes, ordained. Neil, I want to remind you that you and your wife are ordained. Is that okay? Yeah, you, you didn't expect that this morning, but you are. Yeah, both of you. Man and woman, ordained. Wow, that's pretty good. Jack, you're ordained. How about that? Is that okay? That's nice. And we could go around saying that other people here, ordained. Simply because we're called to do God's service in whatever we are called to do. So that's the first thing I want to say. Secondly, the Christian faith recognizes that society needs order. Society needs order. The beginning of the Bible is about order coming out of chaos. Listen to right at the beginning. First chapter, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was upon the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then what happens? He orders the world. He orders it. He brings order out of chaos. God is in to order. And Paul sort of echoes this in his book to the Romans, chapter 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is God has established. In other words, God wants order, he brings order, and he calls on society to continue to bring order, and he continues to ask us as believers to be people of order. We're not to be anarchists. We are to be people who keep the laws. Laws are there to curb natural appetites. Because natural appetites really can take over. I'm, I'm always amazed when uh, listening to the news and there's some politician on and they say something like this. Well, we can trust them, all Americans to do the right thing. Let's just trust them to do the right thing. Give me a break. Where have you been? What do you mean trust people to do the right thing? 
The thing is, we need laws in order to stop us doing the wrong thing. And some of you are thinking, oh, are you exaggerating that? No, I'm not. Let's not have speed limits. Let's take them away. It's okay. I tell you, you'd have more deaths. You'd have more this. You'd have more breaking of the law. Why? Because people want to do what they want to do. And, they're not, and people sometimes keep to the speed limit because they know there's going to be a speed trap coming. And this is especially true in Britain. You can actually travel in Britain from Wales to London on the M4. And if you break the speed limit throughout the thing, you lose your license because you'd be photographed time and time again. And all those things would be, and you wouldn't have a license for a year. And you will say, that's harsh. It's not as harsh as having a crash and killing someone. We need laws. We are not to be people of anarchy. We need laws in our families. Where kids respect authority. We need laws in our schools, Fred. We do. Fred knows about laws and schools now. Well, you've known it for a long time. My experience of laws in schools was this. If the teacher was late, there was chaos in the classroom. And if you thought about it, you would look out, you'd get someone to look out to see if she or he were coming. And it was literally, the teacher would go out, the place would erupt, people were doing all sorts of things, you know, whatever, and then someone would go, watch out, here comes! I don't think Fred's going to say, well, we can trust the students just to do their own thing, you know, and, and they'd be okay, no problem. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Sport doesn't work without rules. Maybe you've noticed that. When they play rugby in Wales, one of the great things in, in rugby is the supporters. And in, in small games where you can hear the supporters, and you've got, you've got a few wise guys, you know, and the wise guys have always got something to shout out about the referee, you know? So if the ref does something against their team, you know, they will say, they will say something like, I got some glasses for you, referee! And you know, they'll shout out and they do all sorts of things. Do you want my stick? Or, you know, all these things to get at the referee. And do you know what times we don't really want a referee? But you can't have sport without a referee. Just part of life. And society doesn't work in anarchy. We need a society of order. Now, there is no exact model given in the Bible for us. I'm glad to say. Okay? I'm glad to say. There are lots of works on political order. If you, if you want a great start, I'm not recommending it, there's the greatest book ever, it's one of the most influential, it's Plato's Republic, written in the 6th century BC. But it's fascinating. And it talks about how law and order comes. I disagree with so much of what it says, but it's interesting. And then if you want another one, just Thomas More's 15th century Utopia. 
And you've got all sorts, and they get Locke and on liberty and all these different things. And you can read about, you can read the Constitution. Society needs order. I am not saying there is one type of order. There is no perfect, godly, political government. Sorry, those of you who thought that any of your parties you supported over the years were the Christian party. They're not. None of them are. None of them. In Britain, in Europe, in America. No. There is no perfect, godly, political party. It's imperfect. Every one of them is imperfect. But even though it's, if it's not your party in, you can't say, well, that's not my party, I didn't vote for them, so I'm not going to listen to what they're going to say. You can't say that as Christians. As Christians, sometimes you've got to still obey. You can't just say, well, I'm going to do what I like now because it's not my party in. Not at all. Not at all. Still got to keep the law. Keep the law. Smaller forms of community order have also been successful. Monasticism from the second century all the way through has had times of real spiritual community flourishing. America in the 19th century had a whole list of different communities of voluntary nature. The Hutterites, the Amish, the Oneida community, the Shakers. They decided they wanted order, but they were going to have order in and of themselves. And to a certain extent, they've kept that order. It's different. It's very different. But it's about order. If you want to read uh, the latest work on that, which has become really popular, it's called The Benedict Option. Fascinating book. The Benedict Option, just written about five years ago. But the point we want to say is this. We must have order in society. We are against disorder. And let me make it clear. I am against when people riot on the street and loot for whatever cause. Doesn't matter what cause. That's against. I am against when people go and try and get into the capital. I am against it. I am for law and order because the Bible is for law and order. I might disagree with what is happening, but we are called to be people who value order according to the scripture. Thirdly, Christian values work for the betterment of society. This is an apology for Christianity, if you like. I believe that, do you know, if you want to boil down Christianity to its basics, it's about people being transformed. The words are new birth, new creature, the fruit of the spirit. And on an individual level, that should mean that they are becoming better people, which is better for society. A people transformed helps a society be transformed. One person can make a difference. Children. 
children in the middle of this when children listen to what the word of god says when parents listen to what the word of god says you have a better society listen verse 3 telling children to honor their parents that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth our quality of life and and the way we live as families is important for society when families explode and break down do you know society itself can be infected very very badly and affected very badly as well i have been very very fortunate as i've said a number of times for my parents and my family my grandparents I didn't like everything in the way I was brought up. I didn't like that I had to do certain things. I didn't like that I had to go to bed at a certain time after Bonanza was finished at eight o'clock. And then you get the, the flag burning. I knew, not the flag, the map burning. I knew that was bye-bye, time for bed. And any excuse to stay up didn't like it. I didn't like that fact. I didn't like the fact that I had to get up at whatever time I had to get up, which was the latest I could get up, where I could have breakfast and make it to the school bus and get to school on time. And it was, Kevin! Kevin! Nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ten minutes later, Kevin! I wanted to do my own thing. But I am thankful that I had parents that gave me an environment where I could mature. I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for the schools I went to that gave me order in my life. And you think you had order in your life and you turned out as you are. Can you imagine how I turned out if I didn't have order in my life? We need loving families. And Christianity is about loving families. Those of you who have had harder times know that that is true. Some of you have gone through much harder times than I have. And I'm not preaching at you badly. I'm sympathizing with you on how hard it can be. But we need to aim for the best that we can. We need to aim for good working relationships. Getting on with people. I'm so glad that over the years... Where I've worked at, generally, nearly all the time, got on with the people I worked with. Fourthly, Christian principles apply even in the context of a fallen, sinful world. Even though we live in a fallen, sinful world, things aren't perfect. Society is not perfect. Much of society can be secular. Yet, we are called to apply Christian principles in the midst of that society. This is seen especially as we read about slaves here in verse 5. When you think of Roman society, there was a huge contrast in wealth, in civilization, in education, in morality. There were huge differences. Some people were incredibly poor, other people incredibly rich. 
And when you look at the history of slavery, you see there that slavery has been around from the very, very beginning. Some societies more cruel than other societies. Certain societies, a Roman society, if you were a certain type of slave, you could do okay, believe it or not. I use my evidence that uh, two of the great Stoic writers, Seneca, who's the richest man in the Roman Empire, he wrote his letters, Seneca's letters, the few dramas, brilliant writer. And then Epictetus, who was also a great Stoic writer who happened to be a slave. Slavery was different in different places. If you were working in the mines, in Rome, that was rough. That was incredibly rough and awful. If you've got a decent family, that was much better. But you know what's really interesting? In the whole of classical literature, you never have anyone saying, I want to remain a slave. Isn't that interesting? The whole of classical literature, nothing, nothing. Many slaves were treated right. And many slaves weren't. Greece had thousands of them. There were four times as many slaves as citizens. Dangerous. The Roman Empire was about 50-50. Yet, believe it or not, there were only three slave rebellions in the Roman Empire. We'll all remember one of them, Spartacus. And we'll remember that, of course, from that great movie. And it's a great movie. They were treated incredibly badly. For instance, if you were a slave in Rome, if you break a pot or just displease the master, you could be killed. Tacitus, in his work, speaks of a slave killing a senator for some reason. All of the 400 slaves in the household were then killed. Slaves were seen as living tools and property, yet the Bible calls on them not to rebel or to revolt. I find this hard. There's something in me that says, I am Spartacus. <laughs> and then someone else is going to say, I am Spartacus, I am Spartacus. You know that, I love that scene. It's one of the great scenes in any movie. But we are not called to be revolutionaries, according to the scripture. But we are called to be active in changing society by peaceful means. We are called to do something and to act while we are waiting. We don't just say this is how it is. Rather, we do something about that society we live in. We do something about it. In a few weeks, I'll be starting a new series on, on justice. What is justice? So many people are talking about justice. I thought, I'm going to look at the scripture. What's the scripture say about justice? So I'm not going too much into it uh, right now. But you know, as Christians in society, when we see things that aren't right, we are called to be part of that answer. When you see things which are 
unfair and biased. When you see the innocent maybe wrongly convicted or the unborn wrongly killed. When we see these things as Christians, we are called to call out. That is not revolt. We are called to be different and we have a vote as well. And that's okay and that is good. As we read the book of Amos and Hosea, we are called to be people who are concerned with justice. And today people say, well, you know, the, oh, there's a whole thing, it's the gospel and then there's social justice. I tell you, the gospel is social justice. It is just. I cannot love my neighbour without being involved in social justice. I can't. I can't love the person who hates me without being socially just. And I can't stand up for the poor without being involved in social justice. You see, as God begins to change people, there are chain reactions in these transformations. Because in verse 9, right at the end of our passage, it says there is no favoritism with him, with God. And as people began to understand this, as people began to read Colossians, there is neither slave nor free, Christ is all and in all. As they began to read Galatians 3.28, there is neither slave nor free, we are of equal value. Things began to change. And I'm glad to say that there were Christians involved in standing against unrighteousness. We stand on holy ground today. We stand on the ground that Frederick Douglass stood upon. And Frederick Douglass would walk on these fields in the old, where the old mansion was. And he was an escaped slave. If you haven't read his account, read it. Read the first one. Three, he's got three autobiographies <laughs> written at different times. He says, read the first one, that's enough. 1845. And he would discuss with Lydia Pinkham, who owned this property in the 1850s, or 1840s, I'm sorry, when he was in Lynn. And they would talk about righteousness and goodness. And I'm so glad for people like that. I'm so glad for Wilberforce. How many of you have seen the movie? This is the movie recommendation, Amazing Grace. How many? A few, a few of you, okay. Worth seeing. Great movie. Great movie. Do you know, I went to see that movie a number of years ago when it first came out, and halfway through the movie, the sound went. Would you believe it? I felt there was a little demon there coming in, you know? <laughs> I joke. Wilberforce. Key leaders have been Christians fighting for justice. You see, it's no good saying, oh, well, this is how it is. We must make a difference. So God calls us to have a godly order in our own lives, in society, to bring in the kingdom of God imperfectly. We're going to do it imperfectly. Every one of those communities that tried it in the 19th century in America, well-meaning, but many of them failed badly. Badly. But they tried. They tried. 
And we are called to seek to make a difference. We have a purpose. That's why we want to be involved with Samaritan's Purse. That's why when we see people without, and I know so many of you have been working, for those of you who don't know, there's a whole group of people working with Samaritan's Purse, and we've got, believe it or not, we have a whole storeroom here in the church of stuff that will be packed and sent to different parts of the world. Why are we doing that? Why don't we just send them a tract? Because they're human beings. Because they need to know love. They need to know that somebody cares. And we are called to be people of justice in love. In love. In love. So may God encourage us and help us to be that sort of person. We'll be looking in three weeks' time at spiritual warfare. Looking at the armour of God as we come to the end of this series on Ephesians. Brian will be preaching here next week. Brian's going to be preaching at the end of each month. And we've got a special, not that Brian isn't special on Friday and that, uh, next Sunday and that, I'm not special today, but on the first Sunday of October, we do have a special treat for you. Because we have Aaron and Val Osterbrook. And they are coming and they will be preaching here at the church. Some of you will not know them. They've been involved in, in missions, Malaya, uh, Malaysia, sorry. And they're doing a, a tour at the moment. So we'll be hearing about what they will be doing. So I want to encourage you to tell people, to bring people uh, specifically to just to bless them and to encourage them. What a joy it's been to have people from all over the world, as we have today, still come to this church and still be involved. So we look forward really to that. I wanted to give a shout out for that in two weeks' time. May God bless us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Give us order in our own private lives to begin with. Help us start there. And then help us work out to our families, our communities, our workplaces. Oh, Lord God, that your name will be honoured and glorified. We pray it all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.